Welcome online, friends. I hope you're doing well. And um, I hope that you're treating each other with love and respect still. And I hope you're using this as an opportunity for growth in your faith. Because I think it, God can use it for that, as we talked about last weekend. Hey, uh, life is filled with interruptions. Um, most of the time, it's somebody else or it's us. But it's usually not everyone. And in this case, everyone's been interrupted. And that's why we're calling this series Life Interrupted. We're all being interrupted. And we were meeting in a study this week. And one of the people said, I just wish I knew how many days longer. And I get that. And probably you do too. But we don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, but our life is being interrupted. So what can we do in that situation? Last weekend, I showed you a funny video of a man who was working at home, and he was interrupted by his family as they were, uh, as he was trying to do kind of a, a major um, uh, TV interview, and uh, he had the kids come in, and it's funny, and I mentioned that it was the mother that had come in to grab the kids. It wasn't the mother. In fact, it was the nanny, and the mother, as it turns out, was working in another part of the house in her office, and uh, she was actually um, doing the same thing he was, an interview, and um, I actually got a hold of the tape, and I'd love to show you that tape right now. The question now is how do people respond to their scandals? For the wider region, I think one of your children's just walked in, but I mean, shifting shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, it's unclear at the moment what effect former President Gunhae's impeachment will have on the territories. Unfortunately, discontent in South Korea is not only related to President Gunhae's administration. <laughs> okay. This is a major embarrassment uh, for South Korea, who often criticizes the North of corruption, right. and who now find themselves in the middle of a massive corruption case themselves. Sorry, you do look rather busy there. We can reschedule President this. President Gunhae is no. very likely to face jail time, too. Okay. I would argue, in an attempt to make an example of her. Right, so what does this all mean for the future of South Korea? So, the future of South Korea really hangs in the balance. Oh my god, is that a bomb? <laughs> And it'll be Goodness interesting me. to see how the North reacts to this new shift in power. Indeed. Well, this certainly has been... Uh, sorry, yeah. Your husband is... I anticipate there'll be more to come from this region in the next few months. Kate Wordsworth. So, uh, obviously, that wasn't his wife. It, it was a spoof on last weekend, but I thought it was hilarious. And many of the women out there are laughing because they feel like they're doing five or six things at the same time. And that's absolutely true. Um, this weekend, though, we want to look at God's Word. And we want to find some encouraging uh, and challenging words for us. And we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at a, a, a story that is very familiar to most people. In fact... You don't even have to be a Christian to have heard the phrase Good Samaritan. We actually have Good Samaritan laws uh, on, on the law books uh, in, in America. But we're going to go through that story of Good Samaritan, and I would love you to follow along with me as, we, as, we, as, we read through the, as I read through the passage. So it's going to be Luke chapter t uh, 10, verse 25. Uh, and why don't you follow along with me? I'll have the passage up on the screen. And you could follow along. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So there's that passage. You've probably heard the story before multiple times. Let's just summarize what, we're, what we saw in that passage because there's some cultural and uh, textual things that we might want to be aware of. First, the religious leader comes to Jesus and he wants to kind of justify himself. He wants to prove that he's worthy, he's righteous, he's acceptable to God. And he thinks, he thought, like many Americans think today, that if I just live a virtuous life, then I'm on my way to the gateway to glory. That all I have to do is just live that virtuous life. Jesus, of course, knows that's not true and begins to push him. He will, Jesus wants him to see something that's going on within his own heart that this man and many of us haven't seen or many people don't see. And I think it comes down to a human nature problem. The, uh, as we go into the story, we see this man who is attacked. He's left for dead. A priest and a Levite encounter this injured man. They look at his predicament and they cross over to the other side. They don't give him a second look. They see the, the, the man laying there and they, they cross over to avoid him. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean they were walking together. Probably they were walking Probably the priest came first and then the Levite followed him. Uh, the Levite might have taken signals off of the priest. Well, he didn't do anything, so why should I? But the real question is, why didn't either one of them do something? And there's probably two reasons. The first one is, it was a dangerous place of the road. It was actually entitled the Pass of Blood because so many robberies and so many people had been beaten up and left for dead on that stretch of the road. 
Secondly, if either one of them, being religious men, had touched the body and it was dead, and that man had been dead, they would have been declared unclean for seven days, and neither one of them wanted to take the risk of either of those things. The surprising part of the story, not to us, but to the Jews of Jesus' day, was the man who did respond, and it says he was a Samaritan. That's surprising. Most of the Jews of Jesus' day would have been shocked by that. But what does the Samaritan do? He springs into action. He bandages up the man's wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to a place where he can get care. And he gives the innkeeper enough for the man. And he says, if he runs up a bill, I'll take care of it. In other words, he showed him mercy. This story ends with Jesus coming back to the religious leader and saying, okay, which one was a better neighbor? Now, of course, the religious teacher understands that this hated Samaritan was a better teacher, uh, better uh, loved his neighbor more. And he responds, well, the one who helped the man. And Jesus says these words, go and do likewise. All right, so what do we learn from this passage? Three things that we want to talk about in this passage. Here's the first one. Loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor can either be a duty or a delight. Loving your neighbor can either be a duty or a delight. The premise of this religious teacher is that God will accept me if I live a virtuous enough life. My, I put, essentially I think what he was thinking, it's what many people today think. I would put my deeds and my life up against anyone. I think I'm good enough for glory. I'm good enough for heaven. Uh, the man saw loving his neighbor as a duty. Uh, the priest and the Levite didn't feel duty bound to help the man that they saw in distress. But here's the truth, and this is really important for us to hear. Until you see how much Jesus loves you, you're not really capable of carrying out the second command, love your neighbor as yourself. You really can't do that until you know the love of Jesus in your own heart. Now notice the priest and the Levite, they're both religious men. They saw the injured man, but they quickly looked away. In fact, they passed over, it says they crossed over on the other side so they wouldn't have anything to deal, do with him. They didn't have to deal with him. You really can't fulfill the second command, love your neighbor as yourself, until you understand how much God loves you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Jesus was calling out the motives of the man because his motives were, there are some people who are my neighbor that I will love, but there are people, some people that I don't feel compelled to love. And the priest and the Levite illustrated the religious teacher that Jesus was talking to. He would have identified with them. And he would have said, there are some people I don't have to treat as my neighbor. And so Jesus calls out these motives. And he's showing why we need to love our neighbor. The man saw love as a duty to be done, not a delight. He was trying to justify himself and to save himself before God. Now we do this all the time in the area of salvation. We often get the cart before the horse. We think, I'll live a good life. 
I'll follow the rules of maybe my family tradition or the church that I belong to. And one day I'll have this great resume of righteousness that I'll present before God. And he'll say, you know, you deserve to be in heaven. You've done such a great job. Let me, let me give you an illustration. So spring is here, right? You go outside and you're starting to see the buds, right? You're starting to see the, the things, things turn green. Let's just say we go outside and we see two trees. One of the trees is just full of luscious green life, right? You look at it and life is springing from it. And right next to it is another tree. And you see the branches, but there's no leaves. There's nothing there. What, are you, what is your observation about that second tree with no leaves? It's dead, right? It, that's just, you say, well, there's something wrong with that tree. It's dead. There's no leaves on it, right? Now, here's the thing. What we, do the leaves on the first tree, do the leaves on the first tree, are they, the, are, are they, are they showing something about the tree? In other words, do they give, do these leaves, these, these green leaves on the first tree that's got all these green leaves, do they give life to the tree? No, they don't give life to the tree. In fact, they're showing that the tree has life. They are an outward product of an inward life in the tree, right? So in the same way, our good works don't give us life. They don't make us right with God. Good works can show that we have life if we're a healthy tree, if we know Jesus. But even some people who don't know Jesus can show life. And the way they, but you have to ask, well, why do they show life? In other words, what's their motivation? This religious leader basically was, could have shown patches of green. But what was that all about? That was about saying, look at how good I am. The motivation was, I'm doing this to earn something. I'm not doing it out of delight. I'm doing it out of duty. But when you become a follower of Jesus Christ and he changes your heart, you just naturally bloom. And, the, and the, the fruit of that is that you do good works not because you have to, but because you want to. There's a huge difference between those two. You see, in, until you come to the end of your rope, until you um, look beyond the mo you look at the motives for your actions, uh, which are oftentimes, if we're honest, selfish, you'll, and until you, you see that I need a new heart because I've got an internal problem, until you seek a savior, you're never going to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the point that Jesus is making. You can't do this on your own. You need a supernatural heart transplant to do this. You need Jesus to heal you. And scripture basically says that much too. Look at the following scriptures. Paul says this. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one person that is righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this already tells us that we begin with the problem. The problem is sin. Separation from God. And that we don't gravitate towards God. We gravitate away from God. But here's the good news. If Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. 
It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. See, real Christian, love your neighbor as yourself, love, has a particular quality. It doesn't begin until you see yourself as helpless, a helpless sinner saved by grace. When you start to see yourself as a sinner saved by grace, it changes everything. And if you know that you're a sinner saved by grace, um, that, that, can, that only Jesus can justify you. When you begin to get the gospel, you find a whole new motivation. Um, so here's, the, here's the, the point I want you to see. Until we see Jesus as our good Samaritan, we'll never be a good Samaritan to our neighbor. We don't have the capacity. We may do good things, but our motivation is going to be wrong. All right, here's the second point. You don't get to choose your neighbor. You don't get to choose your neighbor. So the question the religious teacher asks is, well, who is my neighbor? (laughs) Well, just by asking that question, he's assuming there are people that aren't going to be his neighbor. In other words, he can pick and choose as he likes. He doesn't have to choose everyone as a neighbor. He can choose the the, the people he wants to choose. And we often do that. We often want to choose the neighbor we want to serve. But let's face it. Some of our neighbors, and I don't mean the people sitting around you. I'll define uh, a neighbor just in a minute. Some of our neighbors are troubled, they're hurting, they're angry, and they're mean. They're not nice. <laughs> and we say, well, I don't want to serve them. I don't want to be nice to them. I disagree with them. They're mean. They're, they're, they're immoral, whatever. But who is, you know, the question is, well, who is my neighbor, right? Who is my neighbor? Here's my definition. A neighbor is anyone whom God places in your sphere of influence. A neighbor is anyone that God places in your sphere of influence. Now, if you are getting this, you're not liking it. Because you're understanding what Jesus is saying. You don't get to choose your neighbor. Now, this may be a one-time event that you have a neighbor because somebody brings uh, somebody, God brings somebody into your sphere of influence for a period of time, a short period of time, maybe for a long period of time, uh, maybe for a lifetime. You know, it's interesting. One of the interesting parables that Jesus tells, and we don't have time, even time to go into it, he tells this parable of the sheep and the goats. And he basically separates the sheep from the goats. And he says the difference between the sheep and the goats are the sheep went out and they were serving others, people in prison, people who were hungry. People who are thirsty. And Jesus says, when you did it to them, you did it to me. You know, here's the thing. Any chump can love their friends. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute. I think you just called me a chump. No, I didn't. But if you think that, you are a chump. All right? So you just have to own that. I can't help you with that. But Jesus, what does Jesus say? Jesus calls us to love our enemies. He tells us to help those who are different from us. To care for those who disagree with us. To show compassion to those lying on our road. And so when somebody is lying on the road of your sphere of influence, you don't get to choose whether you should help or not. Or whether they deserve it or not. You don't get that. Now this is hard work. And where do you get the motivation to do it? The only way that you'll get this kind of love your neighbor as yourself motivation, love, is to have a supernatural change of your heart. And only Jesus can give you that new heart where you'll be able to really love your neighbor. Here's what I found. Here's what I found. Maybe you have too. Too many Christians 
want to choose their neighbor. If, if they find a person obnoxious or difficult, they, they have a different lifestyle than me, they feel okay to cross over to the other side of the road, and oftentimes they condemn the person calling them the enemy. They hold a different political view, so I don't have any obligation. They hold a different, different sexual orientation view, so I don't have to be a neighbor to them. We can make up all the reasons we want. But if we're going to be honest to our, with ourselves for a moment, and we need to, we're more like the religious leader than we want to, to admit. Think about that. What excuses have you given when God has brought somebody in your sphere of influence that you can help, that, that needs your help, and you said, I don't have to help them because they're lazy, they're different, they're difficult, whatever, whatever reason you want to make. But gospel neighboring, the gospel neighboring that Jesus talk about, talks, is talking about means that we will love our neighbor whether we like them or not, whether we agree with them or not, or whether we, they believe in Jesus or not. <laughs> it's not about that. It's just about loving them. All right, here's the third point. You're not the hero of the story. No, oftentimes we've heard this passage, and many a pastor has has, has, has preached this passage, and he says, now you go out and be the good Samaritan. You go out there and do that. And in fact, Jesus says, what does he say at the end of the passage? Go and do likewise, right? So there you go. You know, it's just, it, it'll preach itself, right? But here's the problem. Here's the problem with that view. And I think to a certain extent, that's true. But that's not the deep truth here. The punchline of the story is that you're not the good at Samaritan. You know who you are? Maybe you're more like the priest and the Levite, but here's who you really are. You're the guy laying on the, on the side of the road, left for dead. Do you ever think about you? See, notice what Jesus is doing in his story. It's very interesting. He's asking us to picture ourselves lying on the road. He wants us to wonder, well, what if my life was ebbing out? What if I was bleeding to death? What if I was, what would I want those who are passing by me to do for me? Because what does the command say? Love your neighbor as yourself. What would you want? And in fact, the story is telling us you are the one lying on the side of the road, helpless and hopeless, that you can't help yourself, that you can't save yourself. And unless a good Samaritan comes along, you're dead. That's essentially what, what this whole parable is about. And the good Samaritan did come along. His name is Jesus. And he didn't pass by. He crossed over from heaven to earth. He didn't just risk his life like the good Samaritan did. He gave his life. And when Jesus saw us, he knew that he had to stop. He had to cross over. He knew he, just, he wasn't just risking his life. He knew it would cost him his life. But he did it anyway. He did it anyway. It's amazing. That's amazing. Here's what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus is our good Samaritan. Jesus is our good Samaritan. Now, we're coming to one of the most sacred times in the Christian calendar. This weekend is uh, 
Palm Sunday weekend where people are cheering Jesus on. Hail the King of the Jews, right? And then just a few days later, a number of days later on Good Friday, crucify him, crucify him. And then Resurrection Sunday, next weekend. I want to ask you a question as we close. Have you ever put yourself on the road, helpless and hopeless? Have you ever cried out to Jesus to come to you and to save you? This is the time. This is the season. This is the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever done that? And if, if not, what are you waiting for? Today is the day. I'm going to pray with you in a minute, but let me tell you where we're going to go next weekend. Next weekend, we have an incredible, special Easter weekend planned for you. And I hope you'll join us online, and I hope you'll invite your friends, because this is going to be special, and it's going to be incredible. But right now, I just want to close our time in prayer. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for showing us so, such important truth in this parable this story, help us to learn from it. And maybe the lesson we need to learn is we don't get to choose our neighbors. Maybe the lesson we need to learn is until I know Jesus as my Savior, I really can't love my neighbor as myself. Maybe the lesson I need to learn is I'm the guy laying on the side of the road and unless you came to save me, I would have no hope. But Father, for those of us who did call and have called upon Jesus, help us to realize that as we follow your example, that it is a delight to serve our neighbor as ourself because we are just walking in your steps and following your path. We don't do it out of duty. We do it out of delight. So Father, may you be glorified in our lives as we move forward in this week and the weeks to come. May we be not only a good Samaritan, but may we understand who the great, the greatest Samaritan is. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good to be with you. See you next weekend. God bless you.